If you have your Bibles, you can open them with me to Paul's letter to the Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Last week I began a series that I'll be preaching for a, a few weeks entitled, Why Christianity? Why Christianity? Why are you a Christian? Uh, better yet, why are you still a Christian? I mean, if we just look at, at faith in general, whether it's Christianity or anything else, if we just look at faith in general, there are fairly good reasons for abandoning faith. Is it pie in the sky, by and by? Has God really shown himself to us that he's evident, his presence is evident in our world? Is not the presence of evil and suffering that is rampant in our world, not just in third world countries, but right here in metropolitan Atlanta, isn't that enough reason to abandon any and every kind of faith? So why do we still embrace Christianity? I've been reflecting on that for a long time in my own life. In particular, I've asked myself, why am I a Christian? And that is a fairly easy answer for me. I can go back to where I was raised, and my dad was a pastor. I've been a PK all my life. My mom taught Sunday school. You know, it was, it was uh, daddy preached it, mama taught it, the Bible said it, and I believe it, and let's settle it, you know. And so at, at the age of eight, I accepted Jesus Christ. I didn't know there was anything else. Would things have been different had I been born in Saudi Arabia or in India or in Africa? I don't know. I shudder to think about it, to be honest with you. But I think uh, the question, why am I still a Christian, is an even more important question. Why do we still embrace Christianity? And last week, you recall, I said this. I said, I still embrace Christianity because I believe Christianity offers the best explanation for who God is. Christianity is the only world faith that says that the God of the universe, the one God who is the only God, came to earth, put on skin, and dwelt among us. And we beheld the glory of God in human flesh. We call that the incarnation, that God became a person. God put on flesh. I mentioned to you that Bertrand Russell, the atheist philosopher, back in 1927 delivered a series of lectures on why I am not a Christian. And he gave two reasons. And one of those reasons was because he said, I don't believe in God. And he said, surely you have to believe in God before you can be a Christian. He's right. He's right. I'm still a Christian because I believe Christianity offers the best explanation for who God is. But today I want to give you my second reason for still embracing Christianity. I want you to hear this. This is a sermon in a nutshell, okay? If you check out, don't check out on this next sentence. Here it is. I still embrace Christianity because I believe that Christianity offers the only logical remedy for my need for salvation. I believe Christianity offers the only logical remedy for my and your need for salvation. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Ephesians is a circular letter that Paul wrote to a series of churches in and around the city of Ephesus in what is now Turkey. 
In this letter, he talks about the church as the body of Christ. But in chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, he, he gives uh, two of the most powerful verses in all the Bible for the distinguishing of Christianity from any other world faith. He says this, he says, For it is by grace, say that word with me, grace. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. Verse 10, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. It is by grace. Say that word again. Say it one more time. It's what distinguishes Christianity from every other world faith, including atheism. You say, well, I thought the difference between Christianity and atheism was they didn't believe in God and we do. That's true, but the primary, the primary difference between Christianity and everything else is grace. Grace. It's impossible to to calculate the exact number of all the world religions. If you counted all those who had just a, a handful of people all the way to uh, Christianity, which claims to have 2.1 billion people in it worldwide, that would include every denomination, including Southern Baptists, Roman Catholic, Lutherans, Episcopalians, Methodists, Baptist-Holiness. Baptocostals. It's impossible to know exactly how many religions, but if, if, if you define a major religion as, the, as a world faith that has at least 500,000 persons in it, 500,000, if you, if you cut off the major religion at, at the minimum of 500,000, then there are about 22 major religions in our world. The largest is Christianity with 2.1 billion, followed by Islam with 1.5 billion, followed by... Atheism and agnosticism with 1.1 billion. And then Hinduism. And then Chinese, the Chinese traditional religion. And all the way down, number 22 is Scientology. Scientology, the Tom Cruise, Christy Alley group. 500,000 people in Scientology. The thing about all these different groups, not only these major religions, but all the other ones that are even smaller is this. Almost all of them teach a different view of God, or all of them teach a different view of God and a different way to eternal life. And so the real question that has to be answered is, which one, if any of them, is true? Or can all of them be true? There is a growing belief in America today and also throughout Europe. In fact, I'm convinced it may have started in Europe and then kind of swam across the Atlantic Ocean to the United States. It's called pluralism. Pluralism. I was approached by uh, a group of uh, students not long ago, and, and one, of the, one of the persons came to me and said, I want to ask you this question. Uh, why do you believe Christianity is the only true faith? And he went on to say, I, my personal belief is that all religions offer a legitimate way to God and a legitimate view of God and a legitimate way of salvation. It's called 
pluralism. That's what that means. That's what that word means. It means that you believe that all religions are legitimate. And that, is, that viewpoint is growing throughout our world, and in particular in the United States today, that every religion is legitimate. That is considered to be the tolerant view with regard to faith. We don't want to appear to be narrow-minded. We don't want to appear to be restrictive or exclusive. And so we will adopt the idea that all religions are somehow legitimate. I responded to this person. I said, let me tell you three, let me make three statements. Okay? I said, let me make three statements. I said, first of all, and this one may surprise you that I said this, but here's, here's the way I, I approached it. I said, first of all, it may be possible that we're wrong. I'm talking about we Christians. We may be wrong. We may be wrong either on part of the things that we believe or maybe all the things we believe. We may be wrong. Uh, he didn't expect that from a Southern Baptist preacher, by the way. But I, I believe that we have to engage people uh, where they are. And so I said, we may be wrong. Then the second thing I said to him, I said, it is possible that no religion is right. It may be possible that none of them are right. But then I said to him, but it is absolutely impossible for all religions to be right. I said, we may be wrong, everybody may be wrong, but it is absolutely impossible that everybody is right. And, and, and I, I gave him reasons. I said, first of all, because all of the major religions, for the most part, believe that their way is the only way. Certainly Christianity believes, we believe that the way to uh, salvation through Jesus is the only way. That's what we teach. That was, that's what Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one goes to the Father, comes to the Father, unless they come through me. Peter said in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, There is no other name under heaven that has been given to us whereby we must be saved than the name of Jesus. So it's true. Christianity believes that Jesus is the only way. Islam believes it's the only way. Hinduism believes their way is the only way. All the major world religions, for the most part, believe that theirs is the only way. Now, if everybody pretty much believes that they have the only way, then that tells you logically right there that it's impossible for everybody to be right. But there's another reason. Let's assume that, uh, that they didn't teach theirs was the only way. But when you, when you examine the way of salvation as taught by Hinduism and the way of salvation as taught by the Muslims and the way of salvation as taught by Buddhists and the way of salvation as taught by the New Agers and the Mormons and everybody else, when you look at each one of their, what they teach to be the way to salvation, they are so incompatible that they can't live in the same room together. And so while it's possible that we Christians may be wrong, and it is possible that all religions may be wrong. It is absolutely impossible that all of them can be right. In my estimation, when we're talking about religious faith, it's either one or none. It's either one or none. And so the real question boils down to this. Which one is true? And I believe, of course that Christianity is the one true faith. Now, Jimmy, are you, are you biased? Probably. 
But I'm a logical person. Those of you uh, who know me well, you know that the older I've gotten, the more analytical and methodical I've become. It drives some of our staff folks crazy because I just overanalyze. I, I obsess with analyzing everything. And I've analyzed this whole idea of religious faith. I've analyzed different religious faiths and their offer of salvation. And I've analyzed the Christian faith and what we say through the Bible, based on the Bible, that is the way of salvation. And so I believe that Christianity is the way. Not only because I believe Christianity offers the best description for who God is, but also because Christianity, I believe, offers the only logical remedy for my need for salvation. And I have a need for it. And so do you. Let me mention three Three statements that I think are very important uh, for our understanding of, of, of this reason for my believing in Christianity today. First of all, when we're talking about other religions, we need to remember that other religions say that eternal life is achieved by way of human merit or human effort. Now that resonates with us. I'm going to tell you because we live in a culture that says you get what you pay for. You get what you earn. And, and how many times have we heard, you know, a gift that you get that is free, that is supposed to be super valuable, that's pie in the sky. There's, there's no such thing as a free, valuable gift. You get what you pay for. And so the whole idea that we can earn our eternal life, we can earn our way to heaven or earn our way to God resonates with us. It resonates with me. And it resonates with you, especially here in America. We like this idea of bringing ourselves up by our bootstraps and earning our way. I'm a self-made man. Some guy would say, I have earned my way to this promotion, a lady might say. So it resonates with us. Other religions say that eternal life is achieved by way of some human effort. For example, let me give you some examples. Islam. Islam, as you probably already know, says that, that the way to God is to follow what they call the five pillars of the Islamic faith. The five pillars of the, of the Islamic faith. And for the most part, the Sunni Muslims. You remember Saddam Hussein? He was a Sunni Muslim. Sunni Muslims follow the five pillars of faith. And they are these. First of all, there's a profession of faith. Second... You have to pray at least three times toward the east, toward the city of Mecca every day. Third, you have to give alms, that is, give money to uh, the poor and to the mosque. Fourth, there is fasting. You have to fast during the month of Ramadan. And fasting for them is during the daytime hours. So you can actually, uh, from sunup to sundown, you cannot eat. But as soon as it gets dark, baby, hit the dinner on the ground. You know what I'm saying? Fasting is the fourth one. And fifth, you have to make a pilgrimage, a trip to Mecca at some point in your life. Now, for this one, they do give you a little bit of an out. You can pay somebody else to go on your behalf. But you have to follow the five pillars of Islam. That's the Sunni Muslims. Now, the Shia, the Shiite Muslims, they have eight pillars that overlap the five pillars. But if you want to go to heaven, if you want to be with Allah 
their uh, name for God, then you have to follow either the five pillars or the eight pillars throughout your life. And then when you die, you can go to heaven. Now, there are some extraordinary ways to get there. If you are a martyr for the Islamic faith, or if you kill uh, infidels for the Islamic faith, then, of course, you uh, can immediately go to their view of heaven. My point here is simply to say that their faith is one that teaches eternal life by way of human effort, the things you must do to please God, to appease God, and to get to heaven. Buddhism, which really doesn't even believe in God. Did you know that? The Buddhists don't have a concept of God at all. It is a godless religion. It's more like a way of life that has blossomed in for some, into, for some people a religion. Buddhism tells you to follow the eightfold path. Mahatma Buddha taught that there's an eightfold path, that if you follow it throughout your life, when you graduate from the eighth step of that eightfold path, you will graduate into some sort of nirvana. But again, while Buddhist way of life may have some things to commend it, it is a faith that is made up of human effort to get to the place of nirvana or to the place of ultimate being or wholeness. We're talking about the fact that other religions say that eternal life is achieved by way of human effort. Hinduism. Boy, Hinduism is a wonderful religion. Man, oh man. They have several different layers within Hinduism. They call them castes. And if you're born into a certain caste, you don't have a choice into the one you're born in. You're born into a certain caste. And if you live a good enough life in that caste, then when you die... If you've lived a good enough life, then you can be at death reincarnated and, there, and also promoted to, the, to an, a, a higher caste. Of course, if you haven't lived a good enough life, you may be demoted to a lower caste. You may be a dog in your next life. I don't know. And you go through a series of sometimes hundreds, thousands of lives, of living good lives, until maybe way out there, millennia into the future you will graduate into a heavenly situation my goodness hinduism is attractive isn't it wow again these are major religions we're talking about and all of them offer a way to eternal life that is through human effort christianity is born out of the fertile ground of judaism old testament Moses, Abraham, and there are two, two main types of folks in Judaism. There, there are Orthodox Jews and there are Reformed Jews. Most of the Jews who are in America are Reformed Jews. They're a lot more moderate or liberal in their beliefs. But Orthodox Jews believe that salvation is obtained through following the Old Testament law, following the rituals. If they had a temple in Jerusalem, it would also include sacrifices. Sacrifices have not been done ever since the temple was destroyed in 70 A.D. by the Romans. But, but while Christianity comes out of that ground of Judaism, and we ought to be thankful for our Judaistic background, even Judaism, Orthodox Judaism, teaches a salvation by way of human effort. Now, the Ten Commandments are good. How can, we, how can we disagree with that? But the problem is, 
It's all by human effort. Now, there are some people who claim no particular religion. In fact, that's the fastest growing number of people, the fastest growing group of people in America today is the group that says non-religious. It includes atheists, agnostics. It includes some people who believe in God, but they don't follow any particular faith. Listen, I don't have to tell you, surely I don't have to tell you that people are getting more and more fed up with church in our world. They're getting fed up not only with church, but with organized religion as a whole. And so here you have this non-religious group made up of atheists, agnostics, and no longer church or mosque or synagogue goers. But even in this group, if you were to, if you were to meet one of these folks face-to-face and you got to talking about religion and you, and you asked them, what do you believe it takes to get to heaven or to get to God? And they're going to say this, especially, especially around the funeral home, by the way. What's it going to take to get to heaven? Well, you just got to live a good life. If you live a good life, decent life. Well, what kind of life is a good life? Well, I don't know, but I know it when I see it. If you live a good life, you'll get to heaven. I, I had, I've had, I don't know how many funerals. I remember back when I was uh, pastoring early in my second church. It was 1988 or 89. I was asked to conduct a funeral for a lady I, I did not know. She was known by some folks in our church. And this was a time... Uh, and, and understand this, this was a time when if you were a lady and you died in your casket, you wore a dress. If you were a man and you died in your casket, you wore a suit. Now, it doesn't matter to me what anybody wore, but I'm just telling you that back in 88 and 89, that's what you did. Well, I go to the funeral home, and this lady, a young lady who died tragically. She, her body was in the casket, and I went up. She had on uh, thermal underwear with a Harley Davidson across the front of her shirt. Now, quite frankly, that wouldn't be surprising today. People wear all kinds of stuff at the funeral home today. You'd be surprised. It's amazing what some people wear at the funeral home today. I'm talking about the dead folk. Did they not think about what they were wearing before they... <laughs> I went up to uh, a family member of hers and I said, can you tell me anything about her faith? And here's what he said. He said, well, I'll tell you this. He said, if there is a heaven and if there is a God, if anybody's there at all, she's there. I said, why do you say that? He said, she was a good person. Now, when we went to the funeral, when we went to the funeral, I, I, I want you to understand, I don't preach people into heaven, and I don't preach people into hell. I don't know enough about even the, my closest friends to really know where they stand with the Lord, really, ultimately. I mean, I see some evidence, but, but I, when I go to the funeral, I just, try to, I just try to encourage the family. I try to comfort the family, and I try to point everybody to God. That's, that's my role at the funeral home. But I want you to know the reason I'm saying this is a lot of people believe, who don't even follow any type of religion, they believe that if you live a good life, you will get to heaven when you're not. And let me, let me just say this too. Some of you have family members who are not in church and they show no sign of faith. And when they die, you, you are going to be very, very tempted to believe that yourself. I see it all the time. 
other religions say that the way to eternal life is through some kind of human effort. The second thing I want you to get is this. Left to ourselves, we cannot fix what is wrong with us. Now, here's the problem with all those other religions. Two things. First, you have the common denominator that all of their, for them, eternal life is achieved through some human effort. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. I know myself too well. And I know that in my mind and in my heart, I have the uncanny capacity to be just flat out rotten. There are times not only when I have the capacity to be rotten, I want to be rotten. You know what else I found out? You have it too. I've watched you. You have what I have. You have this uncanny capacity to be drop-dead rotten. You're a sinner. I've always wondered, you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. We are. Now, here, here's the deal. If I'm that as rotten as I know that I am, and if you are as rotten as I know and you know you are, we cannot be good enough. We cannot do enough good things. We cannot fix ourselves. It's like going to the doctor with a disease and the doctor does run some tests and he says, okay, here's the, the, the disease you have. Now go home and heal yourself. That's what it basically, all the other religions are saying. That's what a good works type of faith is basically saying. Here's your disease. You know what it is. You know how rotten you are. You know some of the things you think and say and do that you don't want anybody really to know about. These things that you know, if there is a God, he wouldn't like. But go fix yourself. But I can't fix myself. I've tried to. I've read some self-help books. I can quote Dr. Phil McGraw. I can't stand him, but I can quote him. I've seen some of Oprah's guests. I don't watch Oprah. But I've seen some of her guests. I've read some books that folks have encouraged me to read over the last 30 years. I've tried to fix myself. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, you can't fix yourself. And that's what the Bible says. Paul says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Everybody has this can't fix myself problem. Isaiah said this. He says, all of our righteousnesses, all of our righteousness, if we took all, every good thing about everybody in this building, we have a good crowd here, look around. If we took every good thing about everybody who's here and we piled it up on this stage real high, we wouldn't even be able to see the screen probably. Because there's some good people here. You've done some good things. If we piled it high, we wouldn't be able to see the screen. But here's what Isaiah says. All our righteousnesses are like a filthy rag in the sight of God. You can't fix yourself. I can't fix myself. And so that brings me to number three, and that is this. Christianity is the only faith that says you cannot fix yourself, but that God can fix you and he fixes you through 
Jesus Christ. And that brings me back to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. It is by grace. Say that word again. Grace means a free gift. Unearned, unmerited, unworked for. You don't have to take a test for it. It is a gift that you receive, a relationship with God through Christ that God offers us and we simply receive it. That's the only thing we will ever do is receive the free gift. That's what grace is. Islam doesn't teach that. Hinduism doesn't teach that. Confucianism doesn't teach that. Mormonism doesn't teach that. Judaism, Orthodox Judaism doesn't teach that. Buddhism doesn't teach that. Scientology doesn't teach that. Only only Christianity teaches that it is a free gift. And ladies and gentlemen, that resonates with me truthfully because I know that I can't fix myself. And so if I'm ever going to get fixed, God is going to have to do it. If you ever get fixed, if you ever get your sin problem resolved, God will have to do it. You cannot do it. You don't even want to do it most of the time. And so, we call that grace. And Christianity is the only religion that says that salvation is by grace, not human effort. So, why am I still a Christian? Because I believe Christianity offers the only logical description for who God is, the best description for who God is. And second, because Christianity offers the only logical remedy for my sin problem and your sin problem. The real question is, are you truly a Christian? Have you received Jesus Christ as your Savior? Has you, have you received this free gift from God? And if you have received this free gift from God, what are you doing with it? Now, be careful here. Be careful. A lot of people believe that you can be saved by grace, but they believe then that you have to keep it by doing good works. We preachers are guilty of sliding into that heresy ourselves. Let me tell you, you're kept by grace. You receive it by grace, you keep it by grace. The natural outflow of salvation is that you'll want to do good things. You'll want to produce good works and good fruit. But you don't do that in order to get your salvation or to keep your salvation. You do it because you have salvation. But my question to you is, do you have it? Do you have real salvation? Today would be a good time to get that straightened out. It really would. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the Christian faith. Lord, when we really analyze all the world faiths, it's pretty clear. I think, what the conclusion must be. Because, Lord, we know what's inside us. We know the thoughts we think from time to time. They're not all good. Some of the things that we say, they're not all good. Some of the things we do, they're not all good. But, Lord, you offer a free gift to us through Jesus Christ. And I pray that somebody in this room 
will move out from where they are and come to this altar of prayer and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I'm down deep rotten. And I pray that you'd come into my life and save me. And I pray for those of us who are already saved. We'll stop trying to earn, our, earn the keeping of our salvation, but we'll just accept it by grace too. And that we will just serve you out of the sheer joy of doing so. Not out of, out of any obligation. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.